Lord, as we finish a year and look toward a new one, I pray you will give us the wisdom to know what to pursue and what to let go of. In the name of your Son, amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, up at Southern where I teach, I was asked to talk to a group of high school seniors, and I know many of them were from Forest Lake Academy. And I knew my assignment was to somehow inspire them, but on this evening, I was just more in the mood to just be honest. So I opened by telling the high school seniors that they were at a time of their life, age 18, when they were getting a lot of advice that went something like this. Follow your dreams. Sacrifice everything for your dreams. Never, ever, ever give up on your dreams. Ever, ever. I told them since they were already getting a lot of advice for age 18, I was just going to give them some advice for age 28, 38, and 48. My advice, I told them, would be this. Give up your dreams. It got a little quiet in the room. Maybe a little sad feeling. What was this? Telling students to give up their dreams. How often do you see anything like that on a senior class vision statement? Give up your dreams. Or on a graduation card. Dear graduate, give up your dreams. Love, grandma. But I told the students that I believe Scripture teaches us that at least being willing to give up your dreams, not to kill them, but at least being willing to release them is one of the most spiritual and powerful things we can ever do, as painful as it is. Of course, we should still have dreams and desires in our hearts. And whatever we do, we should work at them with all our hearts. But we also have to be careful because when we clutch too tightly to our own dreams and plans, they can become too important to us. They can end up becoming a God. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi and we'll be in chapter 1, the book of Malachi. I know lately you've been in the book of Revelation, at least in the first service, the last book of the New Testament. We're in the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1. You find it? Just before Matthew. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, says God, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. So the setting here in Malachi 
For God's words is the holy temple of God and the holy altar of God. God's holy people were supposed to bring to God's holy altar their most holy animals for sacrifice. They're animals without spot or blemish. Instead, God's holy people were bringing to God's holy altar their most unholy animals. They're crippled, blind, and diseased animals. So why did that matter? Why did it matter what kind of animals you brought for sacrifice? Here's why. Because God's people were commanded to give up their best, to lay on the altar that which they most wanted to clutch onto. They didn't want to give up their perfect lambs. They wanted to give up their diseased, injured, blind animals. It was an important symbol with a deeper principle. By giving God what you most want to hang on to, you are showing the most faith in him. We got it? A sacrifice, by definition, is supposed to feel painful. You know, sometimes in our culture, we hear this expression that we're going to step out in faith or act in faith. You ever heard that? I'm going to step out in faith. Well, what do we mean? Well, often what we mean when we say, I'm going to step out in faith is I'm going to do something I want to do. Something exciting, even risky. I have been down this road. But in reality, stepping out of faith in Scripture is not supposed to feel exciting. It's supposed to feel painful. Stepping out in faith doesn't mean doing something I want to do. It means doing something I don't want to do. It means stepping away from something I want, leaving it on the altar to be refined by the fire of God. That's why it's so painful. Some of you may have heard the conversion story of a guy named Clifford Goldstein. You ever heard of him? You know, Cliff grew up in Miami, very secular. He was Jewish, but very secular went to school up at Gainesville, University of Florida. And Cliff had a dream to write a best-selling novel. He was a good writer. And this thing began to consume him. Everything he did was tied up in writing this novel. He even traveled to Europe doing historical background research for his novel. Well, he ended up in Israel living on a kibbutz, a settlement in Israel, and he, he met these Christians that began to talk to him about the Jewish Messiah, and this began to trouble him because he was also questing for truth as he was questing for his novel, and it reached a point where he became convinced that Jesus of Nazareth really was the Son of God. And these Christians took him down to the Jordan River just near the Sea of Galilee and baptized him in the Jordan River, which was pretty remarkable. But Cliff will tell you that he really wasn't fully converted at that point because he was still hanging on to his true God, which was his dream. Well, he comes back to Gainesville, Florida, and one night he's walking the streets in Gainesville and he gets this very strong conviction in his head. Cliff, if you want me, you've got to burn the book. If you really want me, you've got to burn the book. This was before computers. 
So he goes back to his apartment and his mom had given him this hot plate to cook vegetables or at least in the hope he would cook vegetables for himself. And he sets his manuscript on the hot plate and starts it on fire and burns his manuscript. And he will tell you that was the most holy and powerful moment of his life, giving up his dream. It's interesting. God didn't take away Cliff's gift for writing. He transformed it. And rather than writing fiction, Cliff began to write about truth and became the leading author in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And if you study the Sabbath School quarterly every week, he is the editor. But first, Cliff had to give up his dream and let it be refined in the fire, the fat burned up, and the blood drained. And that's exactly how sacrifice worked. What we don't really often remember about sacrifices is when the sacrifice was burned in the fire, it was given back to the worshiper to eat. The priest functioning as the worshiper. So if you offered what's pure, you ate what's pure. If you offered what was tainted, you ate what's tainted. Your job is to be willing to release what you most want to hang on to. That could be a professional dream. It could be a relationship. It could be your own children. What do you want to clutch on to most tightly? That's what God asks you to place on the altar of faith. Now, this never gets easy. It never does. I can tell you things this past year that I really wanted and even thought God was leading me to, and I had to submit and let go of those wishes. You know, over Christmas, my uh, mom gave me a book by Tim Tebow. You know who that is? He also went to the university. Somebody say amen. <laughs> he also went to the University of Florida. And Tim Tebow, the book was called Shaken, and it was really a memoir about how it felt for him to be rejected by four NFL teams as quarterback because he has this dream to be an NFL quarterback. Now, teams have offered him other positions like fullback or tight end. That's where, Tim, that's where we see you. But he has held on to this dream to be an NFL quarterback. Now, he's getting older, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I really feel like maybe he should let go of that dream because he's such a great guy with such great influence. He could be on a team if he were willing to accept the counsel and play something else. Now, don't tell him I said that. I said that. He's a big guy. But sometimes the most holy thing we can do is to give up our own ambitions. So we don't have altars anymore and we don't bring animals or really care about that. So what does this look like when we can no longer sacrifice? Well, it's interesting, you know, when Israel was no longer able to sacrifice at their temple and they were scattered throughout the world, you know what they began to do instead? Pray. Prayer replaced sacrifice. And the theology was the same thing. You know, often we think of prayer as what I want, right? Lord, I would like this. I request this, what I wish. And it's fine to express those things. But in reality, prayer should not be this. It should be this. Lord, here's what I most want for my career. Here's what I most want for my children, for the, the guy or the girl that I'm dating. But I am willing to let go of what I most want to clutch onto and place it on the altar and just step away from it. Step in faith like this, right? It's the same thing. We find a very beautiful 
and challenging example of this in one more passage that I want to look at this morning. Please turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Now, if I were to tell you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, what verse pops into your head? Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Because this is one of the verses we put on graduation cards. But is it possible that a verse that has come to mean so much to us might actually mean the opposite of the way we often use it? Let's take a close look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know, says God, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, these are beautiful words, aren't they? Uh, Words of hope that we share with each other to encourage each other that better things are just around the corner, January 1. The sun will come out tomorrow. We particularly like the words prosper, hope, and future. But is it possible that we've used Jeremiah 11 in the exact opposite way that it was intended? Because the truth is, The words of Jeremiah 29, 11 were sent to a group of people in exile in Babylon, including Daniel and his friends who had been castrated and forced to serve in the court of a pagan king. And when they heard these words, they were not filled with celebration and excitement, but rather shock and a stunned silence. Can you think of a time where you have felt exiled to Babylon because of the actions of others? It wasn't even your fault. This was the situation in Israel. The leaders of Israel had been poor leaders. They refused to rest, refused to let the land rest for 490 years, and the land was supposed to rest once every seventh year. So if the land hadn't rested for 490 years, how many years of rest was the land owed? Seventy. And so God says, fine, if you won't let the land rest, I'm sending you back to Babel, where you came from, and I myself will give the land rest. So you had people that were desperate for better things and desperate for a good word, and they got it. Jeremiah 28, look at these hopeful words from a prophet named Hananiah, who unfortunately turned out to be a false prophet. In the fifth month of the same year, in the fourth year in the reign of Zedekiah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me, writes Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Get ready for the good news. In, uh, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went into Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king. Did you hear the good news? 
that the people in exile only had to be gone for two years, not 70. The only problem was Hananiah was lying. Be careful of people in your life when you are in a difficult situation that encourage you to find an easy way out, just to give up. You're in a difficult work setting, don't press through, they tell you. Follow your dreams, get out, take a shortcut. You're in a difficult family situation, take the easy way out, blow this popsicle stand. It's not supposed to be so difficult. You are not supposed to be in Babylon. So this is the moment when God's true prophet, Jeremiah, steps in and says, no. Here is the true counsel of the Lord. Let's return to Jeremiah 29, but start at verse 4, and let's read back to verse 11. Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number in Babylon. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for Babylon. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says when 70 years, not two, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Did you notice what just happened here? A false prophet, a cunning voice, told the people that their time of exile was going to be short and quick. But what did God's true prophet say? It's going to last 70 years. Most of you are going to die here in Babylon. And in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. Plant gardens in Babylon. Build houses and settle down. For I know the plans I have for you, you don't. Where's the part about chasing your dreams? Following what you wanna do? If you are in a tough time right now, feel like you're in Babylon, even through no fault of your own. Your job is to bear fruit where God has placed you. To have dreams but to be willing to release them and not strive or force them. Well, the people of Judah stayed in Babylon for 70 years. Most of them died there. At the end of 70 years, Daniel, who had now became an old man, went to his window and prayed a prayer that you can find in Daniel 9. and said, Lord, I know your scriptures. 
I know what Jeremiah said. Is it time yet? And God answers that prayer. Yes, it's time, Daniel. The 70 years are complete. And now it's time for me to reveal the plans I have for you. I am giving your people a new period of 490 years, 77s, to get things right. And if you don't, which you won't, I am sending you a deliverer, a Messiah. He will prosper you and not harm you in ways you can't begin to imagine. Your job is to settle and plant gardens where I've placed you. Entrust your dreams to me and watch what happens. Let's bow our heads. Lord, this is difficult stuff for each one of us because we like to control things. I pray this morning that we will follow the words of the Messiah, that he who loses his life will gain it. By letting go, you give back. And for those that are struggling to let go, even of something good, I pray that you give them the courage to trust you with what they most want to clutch on to. In the name of your Son, I pray. Amen.